You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So this is my wife, Susan. Good morning. We live in Falls Church, Virginia. We know some of you. I can't recognize anybody, but I'm sure if we were close enough, uh, we would. And um, we have a big family, five grown children, uh, and a bunch of grandchildren, 21 grandchildren. And um, it was suggested that we might talk with you a little bit about family during this time. And um, so we thought, well, what can we do in a half an hour that might be helpful? So we thought we'd do this. I... um, I just want to talk a little bit about what is different about the Christian family. What is different about the Christian family? Last Sunday morning at our church, uh, a woman was giving, was telling her story about how in the last couple of weeks, she had experienced an, an unbelievable reconciliation with her sister, to whom she hadn't spoken in 20 years. And she talked about how she had prayed and prayed. She had never understood what had separated her and her sister. But she, she talked about how she had prayed and prayed. And one day out of the blue, her sister had called her. And they were beginning to talk again. And we're just reflecting on how family is such a gift from God, but how challenging and difficult family can be sometimes. As I said, we have a large extended family, and we have lots of opportunities for lots of love and lots of opportunity for lots of challenges. (laughs) And that's the way family is. Family is a huge part of our life. It's a significant part of our calling by God. You think about it that way. God has put all of us in family in one way or the other. And a major part of our calling is our responsibility to love and care for those who are family to us. So, I'm just going to say a few things that are different about Christian family. And you jump in. We've we've sort of rehearsed this. So... um, I think we'll be okay. You know, God established family at creation. You had man and woman in the covenant of marriage to leave, cleave, and become one flesh. Children came along, and a larger kinship circle came along. That's family. Any people who are related by blood or marriage uh, who share faith in Christ are Christian family. People who have, through faith in Christ, been born into the family of God are God's children. God is our Father and we are family to one another. So the Christian family is as small as the nuclear family. It's as large as the whole church. But we want to talk about the sort of the family at home right now. A few things that are different about the Christian family. I don't know if you've thought about it this way or not, but 
in the Christian family, the Spirit of God dwells in each member of that family. The Spirit of God dwells in each member of that family. So that I'm not just relating to my wife, but I'm relating to the presence of God as He is present in her life. St. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 113, he says, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and believe the Gospel, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is is like the blood of God flowing through us who put our faith in Christ. That changes everything in our relationship with each other. Uh, if I'm alone, I'm not alone because of the presence of the Spirit of God. If there are two of us, it's not just two of us, there are three of us because of the presence of God. Second thing that's different about the Christian family is that our relationships with each other are not in the end based on how we perform, but they're based on grace. I, in the Christian family, we are called upon and we have the opportunity to love one another, not based on how we perform, but on who we are, brothers and sisters with one another. And so, my wife loves me not as I deserve to be loved. But she loves me with an unconditional love. And, and I might say that when we were first married and she began to understand the sort of person she had really married, <laughs> she extended love and grace to me in a way that I had never experienced it. I thought I understood the love of God, but I didn't understand it until I experienced it in her life, in her love for me. I think in the Christian family, whether it's with your mother or your cousin or whatever, if you know that that person is related to God, you give that person the benefit of the doubt in every situation young couple that we know who had been married about 10 years and they were just uh, coming out of the hospital with their third baby. They were both exhausted. And even before they got in the car, they were kind of arguing with each other. Overwhelmed. Two little ones and another little one now. He said to her, Hon, I think we just have to get something straight now. We're going to face huge challenges that we've never faced before. And we just have to trust that each one of us is doing the best he possibly can. That's what we got to believe. That's what i got to believe about my son who's alienated from me. That's what i got to believe about my wife who's upset with me. We're just doing the best we can. And we trust one another. There's a third thing that's different about Christian family and that is um, even though we're many with various gifts and callings we have a common authority and our common authority is Christ as he speaks to us through the word of God he's our trustworthy guide and we seek to submit to God's commandments and to trust God's promises that is found in the word of God
So it's not my opinion that's final. It's not her opinion that's final. It's what we both come to understand together to be the will of God in our midst, right? Right. Fourth thing that's unusual about the Christian home is that we forgive one another. We 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 not only give one another the benefit of the doubt, we hold one another accountable for sure. And we call one another to our highest and best, but we forgive one another when we fail one another. You want to say anything yeah, about that? Yeah, I'll just say something about that. You've got so, a mic. Oh, sorry. Um, I can't. I really believe that forgiveness is probably the most important ingredient in the Christian home, and it's distinctive for the. Am I, okay, okay, it's distinctive to a Christian home. Usually, forgiveness is interesting because we don't feel like asking for forgiveness or granting it. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go to John or one of my children and say, honey, I shouldn't have said so-and-so or I shouldn't have done so-and-so and I need to ask you to forgive me. I can't remember a single time when I have felt like doing it. And too much, too often I would rather tack on, but if you had or but if you hadn't. We go to one another out of forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, not out of feelings, but out of obedience. Because God has called us to be forgiving people. And asking forgiveness doesn't mean that the pain goes away immediately or that trust is restored. Because often it takes a long time for pain to be healed and for trust to be restored. But opening the door by asking for forgiveness out of obedience is what enables Jesus to do a work of healing and restore trust. So I've often thought and we've been married 52 years almost. And we're still having to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, it's never, it's never comfortable and I never want to. But in the end, it's my relationship with the Lord that calls me to do that. And also as you're raising kids, they one day, God willing, will be husbands and wives. And they're going to need to know how to ask for forgiveness and to grant it in the family. So they need to grow up in a situation where they are seeing that happen. So forgiveness, I think, is one of the key ingredients to the Christian home. Two other things that I'll mention. In the Christian family, you, we have to learn to view things in terms of, in light of eternity. And what I mean by that is, in this life, you know, we just we just take the first couple of steps. And when we die, we, we move on out into eternity. And in this life, we only we, we only learn the smallest part of what God has for us to learn. And God certainly doesn't finish with us in this life. And so when when in the when in the family we let each other down or we disappoint each other or we don't come up to our highest and best we have to remember that well we're just beginning we're just getting started god has all of eternity to shape us into the uh, men and women that he's created us to be and we're going to be a whole lot more useful to god on the other side than in this life oh yes god has much more for us to do on the other side 
we're not just going to be floating around in clouds playing harps. We're going to be we're going to be serving God in the cosmos and beyond. <laughs> and He's going to expand who we are. So we're just getting started in this life, and we have to remember that when someone in the family lets us down. So the only other thing I would point out that is unique about the Christian family is that we can trust that God is for us within the Christian family. That He is for us. He is for us building close relationships. He's for us accomplishing the things that He is calling us to do. And He wants to help us. It's not that we have to do reach a certain point in goodness before He will help us. He wants to help us attain what He's created us to attain. And so we're not alone. We're not we're not living this life on our own steam. And so prayer is the is is central to our life together. We wanted to share just quickly in closing and then I have time for Q and A, right, Andrew? Um, I'm not quite finished yet. Oh. You go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were. Okay, well, we have for you five assurances that we'd love for you to walk out of here with that God has given us in our family. And, and the first one is simply this. God has designed your family. And I think it's helpful to think that God has given us the exact kids in the exact birth order with the exact personality that he has created us to parent. And it may be that difficult, out-of-control two-year-old is driving you crazy that's going to be a tool in your life to enable you to grow up to be the men and the women that God has called you to be. I think so often we think in terms of parenting that it's us putting into them, and that's our responsibility. But really, God has given us the exact children in order that they may be His tools in our lives to grow us up into the men and the women He's created us to be. And if every one of us was honest, we would say, I've ruined my child. You know, over and over again, we feel like we've ruined our child. And I think it's important to remember that my ability to ruin my child is not nearly as great as God's power to redeem him. And we have to keep that in our forefront. My ability to ruin my child is not nearly as great as God's power to redeem him. So that would just be a first assurance that you can have, that God has chosen your family, and it's good. And, and secondly, in a day when people are, when, when people have no agreed upon authority in our society, uh, we share the authority of God in our life and God's word in our life and as we come to understand the Word of God better, this equips us for the life that He's called us to. I, um, recently I've been having some really interesting conversations with one of my grandsons, who is a freshman in college. He's out in Tennessee in college. And um, I, uh, I had not been real close to him, and he never talks to his parents. But I uh, wrote him a long letter when he went off to college, and I, I said, you, you know, son, now that you're in college, uh, you're going to have a lot of opportunities. 
But there's a great opportunity before you as you move into college, and that is you, you're going to have time now on your own to get to know God better. I said, I want to challenge you to read the scriptures every day now that you're in college and you're on your own and you're setting your own schedule. And uh, he wrote me back and he said, uh, Poppy, I, I agree with you and I have made a commitment to read the scriptures every day. And so I, I sent him uh, a, a daily devotional book that we use in our church called uh, Encounter produced by Scripture Union. And uh, he told me the other day that he, um, so far, he hasn't missed a day since he started college reading the Scriptures. I just about fell off my chair. I was so blessed. I was so surprised. But then he said, uh, you know, uh, Poppy, uh, um, sometimes I have trouble figuring out what relevance it has to my life. So I said, well, yeah, well, that's a question a lot of us have when we read the Bible. So I said, I think, let me send you a Bible that's really helped me. So I sent him a, a fairly new version of the Bible, which is called the Life Application Bible. Maybe some of you know it. It has, it has footnotes that help you figure out how what the Bible says applies in my life. And so he, he texted back the other day, said he got it, he was excited to have it. And I'm so grateful for that. This is something we can do in the Christian band. We can encourage one another to understand the Word of God better. I think one of the privileges, and some of y'all are grandparents as well, is that often we can speak into the hearts of our grandchildren in a way that the parents can't. You know, if mom says it to a teenager, you're just going to get a roll of the eyes. But if granddaddy says it, you'll be listened to. So that's one of the blessings of being grandparents. One of the main prayers that I've prayed for my kids all while they were growing up, and my grandchildren as well, is that they would fall in love with the Word of God. Because as Johnny said, that is ultimately our authority, is the Word of God. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet, a light to thy path. So I would just encourage you to make one of your main prayers for your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, is that they would have a hunger and a love for the Word of God. A third thing that assurance that we wanted to give you, the first is that God's designed your family. The second is that God has given us an authority, the scriptures, for our family. The third is that God wants to guide you. And where that comes down for me is I need to be myself in the word of God every morning and on my knees in prayer because that's really where the work comes, that God is working in my heart and hopefully using my prayers to impact the next generations. I always read a psalm every day. I ask God to give me one character trait of his to dwell on that day uh, so that I can leave my time in the Word and time in prayer and walk through the day still thinking about who God is rather than letting my issues get so big. So one of the things, and I just wanted to mention this, one of the things that I most admire about my husband is our whole life he's gotten up early in the morning to be in the scriptures and praying for the kids. And every one of my five children would say that's one of the things they most admire about their dad. Now, it's never too late to begin that practice. You can be the granddad who does that. But I wanted just to share, um, this is a little commercial break. 
Johnny wrote a book a number of years ago that we just had re oh yeah we redone. It's called How a Man Prays for His Family. Very simple. It's a book for men. It's not a book for the women to read and then give it to your husband. Um, that doesn't go over very well. It's a book. It's a book for men and for granddads. So, and some of you have adult sons who are parents. It's very simple. But God wants to guide us, and the place that that begins is as we make the priority in our day, spending time alone with the Lord. Well, you know, um, when I was about 12, um, my mom experienced a real awakening in her relationship with God. And the Lord became much more real to her in the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the things that changed in our family about them was uh, she and my dad started getting up earlier in the morning and they would sit with their coffee back in the den and they would read the Bible and pray together. And I saw them do that. This was before they bundled me off to boarding school at age 14. But I saw them do that every morning. And I saw the difference that it made in their relationship with each other and in their relationship with us. And I realized that Christ in the home was the real thing. Mm -hmm. That, it, that this, was, this was real. I saw him impact my mom and dad. And I think that, the, the, that they modeled that for me, gave me a desire to follow that tradition in my own life. And as Susan and I don't get up and read the Bible and pray together, we've never actually been able to do that <laughs> Uh, we do pray together, we pray together every night, we pray together frequently, sometimes we read the Bible together too, but we sort of do better doing it on our own, individually, separate from one another, because we read the Bible sort of differently. But anyway, um, in my, in these last few years, there's sure something interesting that's happened to me. I've always been sort of desperate to ask God's help <laughs> every day for various things. But um, since I've retired and I have more time and I'm not in such a hurry in the morning, and one thing that I've come to really enjoy is uh, uh, when I get up, get my coffee, I go back to my little study and I sit in my, my old chair and I just sit there in the dark and drink my coffee alone with God and I pray. And uh, sometimes I pray out loud, uh, sometimes I pray sort of quietly, sometimes I just listen. I think through the former day, I think through the mistakes I made, I ask God's forgiveness. I think through the day, I try to sort of plan the day in my mind, ask God's help for things. But it's, it, I, I've been learning, I mean, I'm, I'm seven, what am I, 74 years old, and I'm still learning about prayer. That's what I'm trying to say. There's always more to learn, however old you are. I think the last thing I'll say, and maybe we can throw this up, is just that um, all of this is to say that living the life God has called us to is not just up to us. The last assurance we have is that God wants to help us in whatever it is that he has for us to do. You want to say anything about yeah, that? I'll just say, um, well, I'll say two things. We told you we were going to give you five assurances, so we're going to shorten this a little bit, but I'll give you the fourth one is that we have a larger family which is where your church comes and Advent comes 
we can't do this by ourselves. We need one another desperately to help us raise our kids. And so that's an assurance and a gift that you all have. But then the fifth assurance is that what Johnny just said is remembering it's not all up to us. I remember as a really frazzled, hassled, feeling like a failure mother of five young children in seven years, crying out to the Lord, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I ran across Hebrews 7.25 and Romans 8.34 is basically the same. And what it says is that we have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. And that was such a comfort to me that God, it's not all up to me. God is interceding for my child. He's interceding for me. And boy, did I need him. And then just some other verses along the way to encourage the fact that it's not all up to us. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.22 that says, Faithful is he who calls you. He will bring it to pass. He's the one that makes it happen. We can't. In Luke one thirty seven, no matter what desperate place you're in in your family, it says in Luke one thirty seven that nothing is impossible for God. And that is such an encouragement. And finally, Philippians 2.13, For it is God who has worked within you and within your children to bring about His good pleasure. So even if we can't see it, God is working. God is working while we're waiting. And that's a wonderful assurance. So we, we just tried to say that we're all a part of family. We're a part of God's larger family. And we're a part of our own smaller families. God has put us in the family relationships that He's designed for us. We have an authority, which is His Word, to guide us. He wants to guide us. We have one another to support and help us. And it's not all up to us. God wants to help us. And we need help in our families because there are so many challenges that we face in our family relationships. So I don't know. I, I think we have a few minutes. Um, you want to raise any questions or make comments? Or how do you want to handle this, yeah, Andrew? We, we do have some time. Does anyone want to fix this Anybody want to ask? John or Susan, a question or make a comment? Good morning, I'm Jean. And I would just like to say that I preached this sermon this morning to my husband. Mm -hmm. And I'm so blessed to be able to share with you all the information I got in your notes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. This isn't working very well, so you have to speak out. Here we go. Oh. I'm going to preface my question quote that somebody just shared with me. It says, at 30,000 feet, which wing is least important? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was talking about balancing prayer and the word and uh, so I'm just looking at the practical aspects of it you know just uh, I know some people you know they, they spend you know the time and you know the prayer and then they'll get the word in and then I know some people that spend time in the word and then they'll get the prayer in but tell me you know you I guess tell me about your 
devotional life of getting the word and prayer in. Do you want to do that? Um, well, I, uh, I'm just kind of a study person. God's made me, I love to study. And so for me, what comes naturally is to study the scriptures. And prayer doesn't come naturally. So I've had to learn to pray first. And, and that's why this time in retirement has been so good, to have more time to pray. Uh, I've always been disciplined in my prayer. But I, I usually, uh, over the years, I've always gone to the Word of God first to let Him speak to me, and then I've gone to prayer after that. And sometimes I haven't devoted enough time to prayer. What about you? Well, I'll just say that it's not an either-or. If one of those wings falls off, the plane's going to crash. So it's, it's a both-and. And I don't think there's any special perfect formula for doing it. You do have to find, as John said, what fits you best. It's been helpful for both of us to have a prayer notebook because when you go to pray, you're just overwhelmed. And so I divide things in my week. I have Monday, you know, just a little dividers, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we have five children, five families. And so Monday I'm focusing on one. Tuesday I'm focusing on a different one. Wednesday. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then I have a day that I'm praying for friends that I have their names written down who want to be married and are single. I have another day I'm praying for for friends who are desperate to have a baby and they're struggling with infertility. And a different day I pray for a small group of pastor's wives that I meet with. So I found it less overwhelming for me if I have a little notebook and I divide it into sections. And then I have a theme that I'm praying for the family, our whole family, each day. And that helps too, but... I think it's a combination. It's being in the Word. And one thing I encourage, particularly in this generation of cell phones, is when you're spending your time in the Word, get a paper Bible and mark it all up and let your children see what you're underlining and you might hit a verse. I love, if you don't know where to start, I love the book of Ephesians. It is so chock full of promises. And as I mentioned, the Psalms, David is so honest. I love the Psalms. But one of the fun things about really using up a paper Bible is that you can hand that down to one of your kids. And when that one gets too filled and is falling apart, start another one. So that by the time you go to heaven, you'll have a paper Bible to hand down to each of your children. And another reason for that is you're, when you're on your phones, your kids don't know what you're on, right? You can be on anything. But when they see you in the Word, they know where you are. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have apps on your phone. That's great for church. That's great for standing in the carpool line. That's great for waiting in the doctor's office. But I think, for me, during my quiet time during the day, a paper Bible is really helpful. I don't know if that answers your question or not. But. I have a question. So this thing doesn't work very well. John and Susan, you know, you, you're both from the South, and sometimes it's very hard to discern the difference between being Christian and just being Southern. Yeah. And so the distinction between Christian and not Christian is much murkier than, say, in a place like Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and so comment on what is what does that look like? I mean, I, I'll give you some help on this because that, it seems to me that we would tend to gravitate around people that socioeconomically, demographically are closer to us rather than really our closest friends and that we're sharing life with. The common, the common denominator is that we're Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll share a little bit of the testimony and then you can share how you, that works sure. out. Um, growing up in the South, you know, I grew up in a church. My parents were always on the vestry. I can't, can't remember a time when I wasn't in church. But I grew up with the Southern culture thing, thinking that being a Christian was really just being good, just trying hard and being good. And if I was a little bit more good than bad, one day I'd get to go to heaven. So it wasn't until I was in college when I met some college students and one of them just really shared the gospel clearly with me. He said, Susan, God loves you and he has a plan for your life, but because of your sin, you're separated from God. But Jesus died on, your cro on the cross for your sins. And I thought, well, yeah, you know, I've heard that all my life. And he said to me, but have you ever personally asked Jesus Christ into your life? And he shared the verse from Revelation 3.20. That's a picture it's of Jesus standing at the door of your heart. And it says, Behold or look, I knock. And if any man hear my voice and come ask me to come in, I will. And I realized that for me, I had been living on an inherited faith. And it was not yet a personal faith. And the reality is God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And each one of us and each one of our children and each one of our grandchildren will have to come to the place where we personally ask Christ to come into our life. And so I did that that summer and it, it was the beginning of a huge change in my life. It was the first time that I had the assurance that if somebody were to ask me a Christian question, Susan, are you a Christian? I could say, instead of I think I am, I hope I am, I could say, I know I am, because I've asked Christ into my life. He's promised to forgive my sins, to continue to forgive my sins, and he's promised he'll never leave me, ever, ever. And if I were to die today, I could know I would be in heaven with him. So I think for those of us who grow up in, in the South, we need to appreciate the Christian church culture while realizing we, that we are still called to make a personal step or commitment to Jesus. And in terms of reaching out, honey, you want to speak to that? Well, I'd just say that uh, being a Christian is like, it's like being a human being. You have to be born, okay? You have to be born to be a human being. To, to be a Christian, you have to be born again. And that happens when we, we open up our life to Christ. We put our faith in Him as our God and our Savior. And we begin to live life following Him. But as in human life, they're baby Christians, they're adolescent Christians, they're mature Christians, and um, we, we may be at any stage along the line. And so, um, you know, we may, we may have a deep faith in the Lord, trusting that He has forgiven our sins, but we might, we might still think that if we're not just 
perfectly doing his work all the time, but he's disappointed with us. He's fussing at us. He's frowning at us. You know. And so we might. We that person needs to learn that God's love for us is unconditional. But there might be another young Christian who who knows what he believes, but still hasn't really committed his uh, will to God. For me, a major turning point was when I I realized I had all these agendas for my life, but I didn't know if they were God's agendas or not. Mm -hmm. And I just assumed what I wanted was what God wanted. And I realized one day I felt like God said to me, Son, I can't really use you unless you're willing to be a nobody for me in Nowheresville, North Dakota. Then I might be able to use you. And I thought, Oh. So for me, that was a big step in growth. And I'm still having steps in growth. Anyway. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, we, need to, we need to close. But I just want to close on a personal note uh, as a testimony to John and Susan's family. Uh, when I was uh, finishing up at UVA, uh, I was in London, England, with a friend who was teaching over there. And uh, we, we were out way too late. And he had forgotten that the trains weren't going to run past a certain hour. So he said, well, you know, John Yates III lives in London. That's John and Susan's son. And, I, and so we can go pound on his door. And so at some ungodly hour off of Greater Portland Street, we're pounding on John Yates III, sir, who had no idea we were coming. Uh, this is kind of before cell phones. And he said, well, you're here. I bet I, you better come in. And then the next morning, he peeled us out of bed and said, you've got to get up and get to the breakfast table. We didn't think I'd done it, and then we realized why, because as we're sitting at the breakfast table, in walks John Stott <laughs> and looks at us and says, Late night, boys. <laughs> and, and now their son John and I are our dear friends and, and brothers. And then uh, fast forward, uh, a wonderful, godly man that many of y'all know, um, Fitz Allison, the former bishop of South Carolina, uh, has just poured himself into me and mentored me. And that's Susan's uncle. <laughs> Uh, and then one day in Beaufort, South Carolina, this guy walks in with his wife and plops down. And he says, Andrew, I think that you ought to come and plant a church. And I think it was Ashbrew, North Carolina. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, who are you? And he said, my name is Augie Yates. <laughs> and John's brother. Uh, and then I come to the Advent, and there's Fran Cade, Susan's sister. Yeah. I can't get away from you. Uh, you really are sort of the Christian mafia in all the, all the right ways. And, um, and to bring it full circle, false church is such a special place. And Lord and I, were able to sit under their ministry mm. for years. And that church walked beside Warren when we were engaged, and I was living in England, and it, and it was not <laughs> an easy engagement. Um, but there they were. And, and the friends that we made at the Falls Church are our, our children's godparents. Mm. <laughs> what really is getting me Here's my daughter Lily, who's now sitting under their teaching this morning. God orchestrated that. Mm-hmm. And she's now being blessed by hearing the same teaching that blessed us. 
And that's a God thing. Yeah. And so I've been encouraged this morning, uh, not only to look like a blade idiot, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, everything that they've said is true. And it works because it's true. It's not true because it works. It works because it's true. And uh, and so I'm a testimony to that. And, and here we are today. So let me close this in prayer. And then, uh, and then uh, we'll get out of here. Our gracious God in heaven, you are our Father, and you've adopted us by grace into your family. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the families that, that you've given us. Lord, that's a hard thing to say sometimes, but uh, Lord, we do pray for our families. Uh, we pray for those who long for a family, and we pray that we would live into the reality that we are brothers and sisters, and that we would be family to one another, and that we would carry one another's burdens. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that your arm is never too short to save and that your grace is much greater than uh, any ability that we have to ruin our children, uh, to ruin our spouses, uh, to ruin anything. Uh, that there's no point uh, beyond which you can redeem. And so, Lord, we entrust ourselves and our families to you to make us into the sons and daughters you've called us to be. We thank you for bringing John and Susan to us, and we pray that you continue to bless them. And Lord, uh, that uh, we would live into the reality of your calling on us by your grace uh, with the ultimate help of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.